You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 211 and 212 of Reading Through the Bible in a Year. And of course, we are engaged in the oral tradition of this reading, just uh, sitting around a metaphorical fire talking about being entrusted with sharing the story of God as he interacts with his creation. So, where are we, Matt? All right, our Old Testament reading for today is 1 Chronicles chapter 7 through chapter 10. Well, chapter 7 and 8 and 9 are still the genealogy, but we do get a little taste of narrative today. So I'm excited about that. But before we get there, let's finish strong what we started with the genealogy, the part of the Bible that we uh, have the most difficulty engaging because it's just a bunch of names. But is it, Matt? Is it but just is names? It? I say it's more than names. Yeah. It's, it's a connection to the past, mm-hmm. which propels us into the future. And there's always like fun little nuggets of story and yeah. hidden away in these. So again, the structure, we start with the tribe of Judah. Because that's the tribe that's important, carries the kingly lineage, and again, eventually the coming Messiah. And the physical place of the mm-hmm. temple. Yes. So it carries, yeah. It's and then kind we of had Simeon, which was in, in the middle of Judah and kind of got absorbed. Then we dealt with the Transjordan tribes and, and their uh, exile. Then we jumped into the Levites, which have, again establishing a legitimate connection to worship. Yes. And now we're dealing with the rest of the tribes that were within the promised land. I'm so curious, too, to see, you know, after coming back from the Babylonian exile and reestablishing the walls and reestablishing Jerusalem and the temple, it is, it is whetting my appetite for, I know we get to Jesus like mm-hmm. 400 years later, mm-hmm. but how did we did the people of God survive this or did they do the same thing? I don't know. You have to stick around. All right. So, so in chapter seven, we get a brief rundown of uh, the descendants of Issachar, uh, who, again, they were a great military force, but their military eventually did not save them. Yep. Uh, we get the descendants of uh, Benjamin, which do get a little special time and mention. Um, a couple times throughout this, the next couple chapters, again, because they have the lineage of Saul, their closeness and reliance with Judah. Uh, they were one of the tribes that actually stayed with Judah when the North and South split. Did you think this goes back to, okay, so tribe of Benjamin, Saul, mm-hmm. Saul's son, Jonathan, mm-hmm. Jonathan's lame son, Mephibosheth. Yes, or Melabel. They, they, the names are different, aren't they? Because I didn't see Mephibosheth in this genealogy, but is, I know he is there. It's Maribel. But do you, so I was the, thinking uh, the reason that Benjamin is not completely wiped out, mm-hmm. there's a couple times when Benjamin could be wiped out, but this friendship with David and Jonathan for the sake of Jonathan oh, yeah. continues. It's pretty cool. Like yeah. So Benjamin does get absorbed by Judah, and they're mm-hmm. part of the remnant, mm-hmm. even though they they've return. sinned yeah. and... And all that stuff. It's pretty cool that one friendship can change history. Yeah, and so even in the uh, Benjamin genealogy, I couldn't help but notice uh, Ehud's name is dropped. 
if you remember left-handed Ehud, who oh, stabbed, yeah. who was a judge of Israel, who stabbed the fat king in the gut. Um, his they name, are. his name's a little dropped. Remember, they're a scrappy tribe that was almost brought to the point of annihilation. Like a couple times. Mm-hmm. And so, so the smallest, but the fiercest, like they're a fierce they're tribe. They're fierce, the ravenous wolf. Uh, and then we get a, a, a little mention of Dan in the last but line before of Dan, Benjamin. I mean, I'm just putting Paul, who is called um, Saul. He's yeah. the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah. But Paul's parents had no problem naming him Saul. The failed king, according to Chronicles, I mean, he is yeah. a failure. Yes. Interesting. But they're so tribal still, like, yeah. we're Benjamin. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, and so we have, uh, at the very end in verse 12, we have Husham, the son of Ahur. And that's the one line to the tribe of Dan. Oh. And the tribe of Dan it doesn't even get an official reference because if you remember, they were, they failed to take any of their promised land. Yeah. They end up migrating up north to this little town that they just raided that was peaceful and kind of disconnected from everything in the mountains. And then that's where the second golden calf was built. <laughs> Under and, they, and the whole tribe of Dan was like the priests for that second calf. And so they're like, they get one family tie. Wow. Boom. Done. Uh, Naphtali, again, not given a whole lot. I mean, one line. Of reference. It wasn't, I, I used to know somebody and they named, well, never mind. I don't want to say it. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, okay. Um, so Naphtali gets a quick little reference. Um, <laughs> then we go uh, west side Manasseh. So we dealt with east side Manasseh, the Transjordan Manasseh. Now we get west, west side Manasseh and their breakdown. Uh, then we get Ephraim, which Ephraim gets special note because of uh, Joshua, and because Ephraim has the had the birthright, the firstborn inheritance of the tribes, um, and you do get basically the the zenith for Ephraim was Joshua. Okay, and then Asher. Then Asher, and it, we get some stuff from Asher, and that's it about it. Is it safe to say what I think is very uh, faithful? of the chronicler is these are the northern tribes. These are the, northern these are the tribes. ones who turned from the Lord mm-hmm. super quick. They betrayed their covenant promise to God. They went after other gods mm-hmm. and they lost everything early. Yeah. And I mean, they rebelled against David's uh, grandson, Rehoboam, mm-hmm. right away. And yet the chronicler puts them in because they still are considered part of Israel. They're part of Israel. But also I think he's showing like, they were great tribes, yeah, and they were great, but in their greatness, their greatness was not enough to save them. Your strength, the numbers, the blessing is mm-hmm. not enough. You have to like, trust the Lord. all comes from God. Trust the and Lord. And if you're not trusting in Him, you're going to lose it. I have a habit every day now. I, I pray through the Lord's Prayer, but the part where it says, Hallowed be your name, I use that every day to thank God for everything I have. I mean, you probably do something something mm-hmm. similar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where and, and that's what it reminds me of here is, like, no matter where you find yourself, there are things to be thankful for, whether it's your health. I thank God for my faith because that's a great gift. I thank God for everything. And, and you see what happens to these tribes that once were great, they just couldn't remember where mm-hmm. it all came from. Then, in chapter 8, we go into the genealogy of Saul, which is going to start yeah. off the beginning of the narrative 
that the chronicler is trying to build. And so we get through this long genealogy of Saul, establishing through Benjamin. Um, okay, I'm just going to point this out. Yes. I don't know. I have no uh, real uh, reference or anything. It was just something I noticed. What? Uh, what, what, what? The woman that keeps getting referenced mm-hmm. is Maka. She keeps getting called out. And she's called out in Manasseh. Every time there's a lineage in Manasseh, it'll be like, and the sister, Maka. And then she always gets called out in the lineage of Benjamin. Interesting. Uh, the wife, Maka. I think Maka is a marker for when Benjamin had to go and steal the wives to keep from being... Who'd they steal those wives from again? They stole them... Well, they stole them from... Ephraim? Uh, Jabath Gilead. Uh, right. From across the way, from across the Jordan... But then they also, they didn't, that wasn't enough. So they had to steal more women from uh, one of the festivals. <laughs> right, but they were told to. And they were told to. And so I think Maka was one of the women stolen from the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh. Okay. Yeah, uh, I that's think interesting. That's just a little thing. I don't, I have no, it's just something I noticed. Well, and, and honestly, you see. And um, that's within the line of Saul. And you see women and how important women mm-hmm. are in these lines because it tells, those are markers mm-hmm. to show when other tribes and other things mixed mm-hmm. or um, outsiders came into yep. the line, which yep. is important because Christ dies for everybody. So then within mm-hmm. the tribe of Saul, we get uh, we even go past Saul into Jonathan. Uh, Meribal is Mephibosheth. That's okay. just the other name for Perfect. Mephibosheth. Um, and it gets all the way down to almost the post-exile line. So right. then... We get into chapter 9, and we now are going, okay, these are the people who returned. Yes, this is such a cool, it's so fun to see, oh, a genealogy of the returned exiles. But then right away, I mean, it says, um, and in verse 1, right? Yes. In chapter 9, I was laughing at this this morning because it says, blah, 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 here's the genealogies of Israel. And Judah was taken into exile in Babylon because of their breach of faith. Mm-hmm. And like my little record player was in my head was like scratch. <laughs> what? If you were reading the Bible, just as it is compiled, mm-hmm. you would be reading First, Second Kings, and it ends with Assyria, yeah. right? But then you would be nine chapters into Chronicles, and it's the first you've heard about Babylonian captivity. Yes. Like what? Wait. When did they? They're coming back. So this is about how they're coming back. Mm-hmm. But wait, when did Judah? I thought Judah would last. And so this would be the point in the story where you go, oh, no. Yes. And so it's kind of like a teaser. Mm-hmm. And now you got to read the rest of the scriptures to figure out what happened mm-hmm. in the South. But what we know for sure is, and we talked about this last episode, was because of their breach of faith. Mm-hmm. So that's everything you need to know. There was a break in the wall. There was a hole in the roof uh, of, you know, and that allowed everything to come in. And for the people of God, it's a breach in your faith. When your faith is broken down, the enemy gets through and turns you against uh, from faith into fear of all your enemies. And so the of the tribes that come back from the Babylonian exile, we yes, have yes. primarily Judah, Benjamin, and Levi with a right. smattering of Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay, so say it again. Judah, Judah, Benjamin, Benjamin Levi, Levi, smattering of Ephraim and Manasseh, right. which are Joseph's 
kids. So Joseph and uh, and the line of Judah. And Benjamin. And Benjamin, okay. Uh, and so that kind of breaks down the genealogy of the returned exiles. But then they focus, though, on like Judah's line, but then the focus is on the priests, yes. the Levites. Yes. And, uh, and then you have like gatekeepers, but within the Levites is Korah. Yes, the Korites. And, um, and so it's just fun to realize again, oh, priests are different than Levites. Yeah, they're, they're Aaron. They're of the tribe of Levi, but through the family line of Aaron. So they're of the clan of Aaron. Um, and then the Levites are broken down into three clans, and those clans all have different jobs of taking care of what. So in this genealogy, though, you have obvious, showing what's the most important mm-hmm. is the, the priests, you got Levites who are, and then gatekeepers. You got uh, guys who are in charge of utensils, the furniture, mm-hmm. the food, the showbread. Like, and so the people who come back are temple service workers. Yep, I thought that was cool. And you have the singers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are all Korah, right? Like Korah, well, not are, all of them, but they keep get mentioning the Korites because if you remember the rebellion of Korah, yeah, uh, Korah was of the serving class of the Levites. They handled the... And he wanted to be a priest. Right. And his sons, though, did were like, no, we're happy with our position. And so and they, God, wrote, they wrote some of the most beautiful psalms. Mm-hmm. They wrote uh, music, but they also handled like the things of the tabernacle yeah. to set it up. Yep. And God blessed them, and they're constantly being called out for their faithfulness in spite of their father's rebellion. So, you know, like when you think of the genealogies in the book of Matthew... Mm-hmm. It ends with Christ, right? Yes. When you think of uh, this genealogy now, it all leads to these temple workers, mm-hmm. and then ends. Yes. So that's what the important thing is in Chronicles, is we're returning from exile, and we're going to do it right this time, making the means of God, where God says he's going to show up, that's going to be the most important thing to us from the beginning. Yes. So when we look through that lens at the history and so there's not a lot to say about Saul, like the buildup of Saul and how he was chosen. The chronicler does not care because Saul is a failed king. Well, I think this is why there is even a buildup to Saul, though. Because, right. again, he's setting up the story, which is we broke our covenant with God, and this is what's going to happen to those who break the covenant of God. Right, but he starts with the end of Saul's life. He doesn't start with like... No, no, no. Yeah, he's setting it up, though. He's like giving the genealogy, and then he goes, okay, this is what happened to Saul. Right. Saul went to mediums. He was rebellious and did not listen to the voice of God, and therefore was killed in battle and was carried right. off into exile. But I'm saying in... Is it Samuel or Kings? I guess it's Samuel that gives the whole history of how oh, uh, yeah, Saul yeah. was brought. I'm just saying the Chronicler starts with he killed himself. He's, he couldn't get his own armor bearer to kill him. And then the guys from Jabesh Gilead, the only war that Saul ever won, yes. his very first one when he yes. trusted the Lord, those guys still loved him. They got his body back and mm-hmm. his head back from the Temple of Dagon. Yes. And um, I just remember that's, that, that he starts yeah. right there with the failure. Right, and I think he's... Which is the setup to... The setup of when you rebel against God, you don't listen to his voice, and you go after other things, like a medium... Your head ends up on the body of a demonic God. Yeah, you end up out of the promised land in the temple dedicated to some other God. You end up in the God's... 
you house up, that you, you worshipped. Your, yeah, you kill yourself. Right. I mean, he he could he was. Yeah, so this is where the Chronicle starts. And he's here. like, this is like foreshadowing of what's going to happen to all of Israel. Oh, and yeah, and he says, uh, Saul died for his breach of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, where's that line where, oh yeah, it's at the end of 10. Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord. He also consulted a medium seeking guidance, and he did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Boom. Boom. That just reminded me, too, that seeking the Lord, like part of his problem was he did not seek the Lord. And that's the invitation we have is, man, we can seek the Lord for everything and in everything. So seek him. All right. So the story begins for the returning uh, exiles, those the people who were uh, coming back from Babylon Mm -hmm. and from all over the place. So cool. Chronicles is about to get... Uh, I, I like the genealogies. They turned out to be kind of fun. Yeah, no, I think they're great. But it's nice to get back into the story. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to the New Testament today. Our New Testament reading for today is Romans chapter 13 through chapter 14, verse 18. Chapter 13 is... This is the chapter, if you ever have questions about our responsibility as citizens of any nation or under any kind of governance. Chapter 13 is where it is straightened out for you as a Christian what your responsibilities are as a citizen of Earth. Yeah, uh, and again, I think it's important to follow the flow of, what's, of what Paul's been building here. Yeah. He's going, he's basically been proving to the Gentile and Jewish Christians that you are both the same in Christ. Uh, Ultimately, you both deserve the same fate, but under Christ, you are both saved and united to one another. You are to love one another and care for one another. And now, this is how you treat those outside, the structures outside of the church. This is how you are to treat and live underneath them. Well, and God knows... And he's always laid it out for his people. But Paul has to, I think, it's very wise um, to lay out our responsibilities because let's say this unity between Jew and Gentile goes as planned Mm -hmm. and there's this great brotherly love for one another and there's no vengeance and there's no anger. Well, then the temptation for Christians would be, let's take over the world. Let's take it over, and we don't need to obey. We answer to God. Mm-hmm. And so then you start acting however you want, and that actually is the accusation of like early Christianity. The Romans would accuse Christians of being godless and not obeying the law because like, right. um, they didn't believe in all the gods, and then they said Caesar, uh, Jesus is Lord mm-hmm. instead of Caesar is Lord. And so there's all these kind of things being thrown at them, and so Paul knows that and goes, yeah, this keeps us from going crazy because mm-hmm. we could easily go crazy and like, I'm not paying taxes. I give my money to God, my tithe. I'm not, I don't care what this, I'm disengaging from my community. And Paul's like, just like you have to love Jew and Gentile, you're getting along, you're a new person. Your way of interacting in the world is new. Mm-hmm. And here's how we do it under the authorities is that, um, in fact, he says, wake up. I need you guys to like wake up and, and uh, realize that you are the children of light and you're bringing this light mm-hmm. to whatever government you're under. Right. God is the authority overall. And so God has put authorities 
uh, in place to maintain order. So like mm-hmm. God likes order. He likes justice and he's given the governments the authority to execute law and order. So yes. in some cases, death or punishment and that we should respect those because they are reflecting a, a bigger reality yes. that God is in control. I mean, is there any questions about that? No. He just... And he like, straight up says, pay taxes. Yeah, and I think he's just, Darn again, it. telling this community now, now live in a way that no one can find any fault with you. Right. Live in a way that's, again, an example of unity to the bigger whole. Like, again, this is all to bring us into unity with one another. And a having a governing structure that's to protect people from lawlessness mm-hmm. is good. Right. So live under that. And if you obey them, you have nothing to fear. And it is funny when you step back and you realize the world has no problem understanding you speed, you get a ticket, you right. commit a crime, and people cry out for justice. Yeah. But when we talk about God, everyone's like, how is God fair to right. punish me for my sin? You know, right. there's a disconnect there, but we're the people who understand the connect. Yeah. And so that's why you be an example and trust that God's in charge, even when you have bad leaders, you still show honor to where honors do, and they have responsibilities. And he's straight up. I just like that he says, um, basically, you'll get in trouble. Oh, but if you do wrong, be afraid. Yeah. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Right. So it's like you have some fear of the police, of yeah. the government. If you do wrong, expect to, get to for that to go bad for you. Yeah. So the I think... Uh, 13 is uh, submit to the judgment of the authorities that have been placed over you. And then that follows, though, into 14. Well, the end of 13, though, he gets, he leaves the government Mm -hmm. and goes to the second part of the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. So he does say, you have laws, but then here's our law. Mm -hmm. And the second table of the commandments are the ones towards your neighbor. So like murder, adultery, stealing. And that's where he says... Owe no one anything except to love each other. So try to be in positions where you just love, and here's how you love each other, the, this, uh, the second part of the Ten Commandments. But he says they're summed up with, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I just think the end of the conversation with, uh, about the, our interaction with the authorities is uh, we are called to love our neighbor, and we're loving our neighbor by keeping order in our society yeah in our communities in and, our cities. Um, and then he but it's what do you think of the end of this where he says uh besides this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed so therefore let us walk properly in the daytime not in orgies drunkenness sexual immorality and sensuality not quarreling and jealousy but put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh so he kind of ends with saying not only do you follow the laws, but you're a light to the world in love. Like he kind of connects the laws and then how you're going to behave within culture. He connects that through uh, the Ten Commandments, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about obeying those structures, but don't engage in all the sensuality right. and the things of our culture. Right. Like be loving and show that there's more than that. Yes. I don't know. I never, I never remember this in chapter 13. I always just think it's about the government. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting how it ends like that. It's about love. Yes. So we drive the speed limit because we love each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We pay our taxes, Ultimately. not because they're being used correctly, but because we love each other and this is what we have to do and that's to the have law. A, 
protection. But then we do fight unjust safety. laws. We have yeah. provision in our government anyway to to do that. Anyway, okay. So then submit to the judgment of the authorities. Chapter 14 is, but don't judge one another. Yeah, you are not, the unless appointed by man mm-hmm. under God, you are not the authority to judge. Yes. So he is saying there's structures set up in heaven and on earth to judge. Yes. If you're not part of those, be quiet. Yeah. Love one another. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so we get into the idea of, um, he uses the language of weak and strong Christians. And really, again, if you're thinking through his context and who he's talking to, it's again the arguments of Jew and Gentile yes. and how we're supposed to work our faith out. Oh, man. So this passage, 14, when I was growing up in the 80s, mm-hmm. this is the conversation of weak and strong in the faith. Mm-hmm. And it always came down to like drinking yeah. or women wearing pants right. or um, dancing. Yeah. Or even in the South, it's like mixed swimming or something, mm-hmm. like boys and girls in the same pool. I know that might sound silly now. It's 2018 when we're doing this. But this passage, kind of out of context, was talking about... So with the example of drinking was a big one mm-hmm. where I grew up. You would read this, and he's saying... Um, the weak brother, the weak in faith, says, I can't drink. Right. It's a sin. Right. So the strong in faith would not drink around, around them mm-hmm. to show love. And so like, don't cause your brother to stumble. Mm-hmm. Just be loving. Like the mature guy or gal knows the freedom they have in Christ and says, oh, I'm free to drink. Um, but for the sake of the other one, I won't in front of them. Right. So there's, I think that's how it was handled. And I do want to say... Part of that is true. Yeah, There's I like, think so. I think that's just general common it's sense. It's a like, general principle. It's a general principle of love. Like when I, I have friends who are alcoholics, I don't take over a bunch of alcohol to their house. And that's not because they're weak faith or strong faith. That's just because I love them. Yeah, and I'm I like, oh, I know they aren't going to drink and yeah. I can handle a couple of beers, but it's not worth it. Cool. I'm yeah. free to not do that. But what we're talking about, this passage isn't talking about that stuff at all. No. It's talking about real religious beliefs, right. the clash of religious beliefs. Now, who would be clashing in this context, Matt? Uh, maybe the Jews and the Gentiles. What? Jews and Gentiles? That's the first time I've heard you say that. Okay. Just kidding. <laughs> right. The context is so obviously in regards to Jewish thousands of years of celebrating the Sabbath, which is on a? Saturday. Saturday. Clashing with the inclusion and creation of Christianity, which celebrates on the seventh day, celebrates on Sunday. I'm sorry, the eighth day, um, celebrates the resurrection of Christ on the eighth day, Sunday. So there you go. On days and festivals, the old festivals now not needing to be followed by the Mm -hmm. the new people of God, the children of promise, the foods that are sacrificed to idols in their communities and the ones that aren't, there's freedom for the, um, the Gentiles not to eat of that or to eat of it. There's freedom for the Jews who would not eat certain things, you know, like the whole, remember the whole yeah. sheet to, uh, with all the animals for Peter. So that we're talking about food and festival days to worship. Yeah. Those are the big issues because the original audience is Jews and Gentiles. And it's not just, oh, you drink and you're causing me to feel like I don't, I mean, I don't even know, like the drinking thing had nothing to do when I was growing up with a religious belief. It had everything to do with, we think you're wrong for drinking and it could lead to alcoholism and that's mm-hmm. bad. 
I mean, it's coming out of prohibition, right? A generation yeah. or two. Paul is addressing deep-seated rage and anger. Yeah. God told us to celebrate and worship him on Saturday. Mm-hmm. There's a huge shift. And so the strong in faith Jew would go, I can worship on Saturday and I can worship on Sunday with you. Yes. I cannot judge you. And then I need the Gentile to not judge me when I worship on Saturday. Yeah. But those are religious issues. Yeah. Or the Gentile saying, I need the Jew to not judge me for when I go to the market and get meat that's been dedicated to idols because right. that's the only option I have for right. food. And I recognize that through the power of Christ, I can eat this meat freely and not be dedicating myself to a false god. And so Paul is saying, look, I need you to be loving with each other. Yeah. Please work this out. Work it out. Stop becoming little cliques Mm -hmm. and then judging. And what's the line we were talking about earlier? I think... It was disdain and judgment. Yeah, it's verse uh, 10. Or despise. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or why do you despise your brother? So the idea is like someone in a superior situation is like, I'm despising you. Because you don't understand my freedom. You don't understand the freedom. And then the one who doesn't understand... The freedom is saying, well, I'm judging you. You're doing wrong. Yes. And Paul's like, we need to stop all that. um, For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. God's the only one who judges us. Yes. And he's only judging us. He does the line. Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess. Like, you'll give account, but Mm -hmm. Christ is going to be covering you. Right. So do not cause another to stumble. And so at the end, the therefore really is don't pass judgment on one another. Yeah, or despise one another. Be loving. Yeah. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. Yeah. Let's get along because we're all under Christ. Right. The gospel is the important thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. I think that's good. I hope that clears up. I know for me, that passage has always been used. It's been in confusion for me mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, well, if I'm free to do this or that, or, or I remember living in a place where like going to a movie in a movie theater was a problem. Right. Oh, am I free to do that or not? Mm-hmm. And um, that's just, and that's not even the religious things that's just work it out and be loving um cool well thanks lord thanks paul for helping us figure some things out where are we today in the psalms matt we are still in psalm 89 and we are going over verses 38 and 45 But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword. You have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Boom. 
You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.